Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus. Lord, whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, through Jesus, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you, and you are going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble, but because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought that he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus, is dead. For your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back 
and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take the stone away. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. This is the gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we give you thanks for this day and for grace to hear your voice in our lives. May our obedience in listening and living bring glory to you. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It's hard to believe in some ways that Easter 
is only two weeks away, but there is a lot happening in these next two weeks in the life of Jesus. But one of my most favorite childhood memories was beginning to think about where and how we would be sharing our Easter Sunday meal. I know, I don't know if you have thought about it or not, but I imagine that some of you will go out to eat. However, there will be some who will prepare a traditional meal that they have always had on Easter. Growing up, our Easter meal was baked ham, potato salad, deviled eggs, and yeast rolls. Now, I am sure that there were green vegetables on the table, <laughs> possibly a fruit cup, maybe even a congealed salad, but I don't recall those details quite as specifically. It was sometime during those growing up years that I began to notice that my mother loved to set what she called a pretty table. It did not matter about the occasion, whether it was a holiday like Easter or Christmas or if it was simply a neighbor coming over for coffee. She would use some set of china, depending upon the occasion. And if it were a Sunday meal, she would select the appropriate tablecloth and napkins. I could see that she had always put a lot of thought into every detail. And for the longest time, I, I thought it was because she loved pretty things, because she did. But as more time passes, I realize it wasn't simply about setting a pretty table. My mother knew, and my mother lived into the heart of setting a table is preparing a place for something greater to happen. Gathered around her pretty table of delicious food, the greater event were the stories that were shared, the laughter that could be heard, the experiences that people shared. For the past three Sundays, four now including today, we have been reading from the Gospel of John, who also was setting the table that ultimately led to what Jesus would encounter during Holy Week. Today's Gospel lesson is more than just the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. It is the miracle that completed the table setting for something greater to happen. That greater happening 
is when Jesus, the Son of God, revealed God's glory by showing his power over death. By doing so, this was the tipping point that set in motion the plot by the chief priest and the Pharisees to kill Jesus because he was threatening their power and their prestige. When Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, that was the final straw that provoked his death. You're lucky because the text for this Sunday are two of my favorite passages. And I could preach a sermon on the story of Ezekiel and the dry bones and the Lord breathing life into him, them. I could spend time, as I did in Bible study on Tuesday, talking about the nuances of this scripture and how the details of how the table were set are located in that long passage. But I'm going to get straight to the point this morning and share with you the, the points, the ideas that I gleaned through the study of this passage. The first one, Jesus walked toward his death with confidence. He delayed going to Lazarus until after he died. Jesus knew that he was going to raise Lazarus as the final sign that he truly was the Son of God, the Messiah. He also knew that it would infuriate the religious and political authorities they had already tried to stone him and arrest him. That was recorded in chapter 10. Yet because he was God's son, he kept his focus on his mission, even though it would be dangerous, unjust, brutal, and painful. Jesus saw beyond his present and upcoming circumstances to a future where God makes the impossible possible. One of the hard lessons I learned in ministry a number of years ago was when it comes to the death of our loved ones, I offered people comfort. That is my role. But what I also came to realize was what I had not offered them ahead of time, and that was confidence. Both are necessary. You see, as pastors, confidence is offered to families and friends during the deceased funeral or memorial service when we hear words like, death is not the end, it is a transition to more life, 
to perfect wholeness, to ultimate health, and to complete harmony with God. It is a reunion with those who have gone before us and those who have yet to come. I believe those words with all my heart. And if you have been to a memorial service, you have heard me say those words are something similar. But I could not help but wonder how much better our lives would be in the present if we could be reminded that while we are living, that Jesus is walking with us toward our own death. You see, even as Christians, many of us fear death, which makes it difficult for everyone. And oftentimes, I've heard people pass it off by saying, I know I'll be in a better place. And that is true. But friends, fear not. For if we do the difficult task of planning, of educating ourselves and having conversations with our families, when we no longer have breath in our bodies, we can leave this world confident that we will experience the fullness of the resurrection promises that I just mentioned. Which brings me to my second point. In baptism, through the gift of water and the word, we have already died and have been raised. The Apostle Paul reminds us of this in Romans for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. For you see, when we rise out of the water with Christ, we too share in the power of the resurrection. We are buried to sin and raised to new life and full of new life we are given the freedom from sin and death so that we can live in love and in service to others. St. Francis of Assisi says it most convincingly. In baptism, we have already died the only death that matters, leaving us free to go into the broken places of a suffering world, bearing God's mercy, God's healing, God's love. And then my third point. We can't have resurrection if we don't have death. We can't have resurrection if we don't have death. We must die to our old selves before being raised to new life. We are buried with Christ, 
before we are raised with him. Again, in Romans, Paul wrote, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Author Dorothy Bass, in her book, Practicing Our Faith, taught me something. And that was when Christianity was first emerging in societies under Roman rule, Christians could scarcely ignore that baptism meant dying to their former ways in order to walk in newness of life. I wonder how often we think of our newness of life. God's mercies are new every morning. We are given new life each day. And in our lifetime, we experience many deaths. Yes, deaths of people we love, but keep in mind that sometimes the deaths that we experience are not the deaths of a person. Life's circumstances can bear down on us and rob us of our breath until we feel dead. The death of a dream or of a relationship, the death of a marriage or of a vocation can push us to despair. Then there are those who suffer loss because of a lapse in judgment or an ill-timed purchase, maybe through an addiction or by making an unmistakable, unfixable mistake by human standards. It is during times such as these when we are beyond weary, when we are grieving deeply to the point maybe of losing our hope. Our lives feel like they are a pile of dry, brittle bones in a dusty valley that was described in our Old Testament reading this morning. Grief has power over us. Fear has power over us. We are broken, maybe even shattered, and feel destroyed. But the good news is, death does not have power over us. Resurrection does not deny that death has happened. It promises that death is not the end. Our faith tells us that God brings life out of death, but for some, they plead with the psalmist, when, how long, O oh Lord, how long will you forget me forever? There is not an easy answer to that question, except that 
we can have the confidence that we are never forgotten. And we see this from our text, that Jesus' timing was different than human timing. But we do know also from our text that Jesus knows and feels our pain and is with us in the midst of our pain, our shame, and that Jesus is grieving with us just as he did with Mary and Martha. God in Christ suffers in us as we suffer in our pain and shame, yet transcends them and uses them for our transformation. Sometimes there is very little that can comfort us in the midst of deep grief and sorrow. We desperately seek relief from the pain and sadness that we feel. We wonder if our spirits are beyond resuscitation. We live in the tension of loss and grief and the hope of newness of life in this world and in the world to come. And this is when we go back to our text and remind ourselves that one of the intentions of this passage is to reveal God and God's plan. It is not death, nor is it despair. God's plan is life after death. Jesus died, and I encourage you this, the remainder of this Lenten season, and especially during the week of Holy Week, do not rush past Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and Holy Saturday. Hang with Jesus in his sacrifice. See his great love for all of creation. For we know that Jesus did not stay dead. He defeated death. He rose from the dead and he is alive. And because he is alive, even our brittle, dry bones can have breath breathed into them. Jesus offers life to the world through his own death and resurrection. And we can experience that resurrection even now. We can participate in God's miraculous saving work even now. Death is real. Grief is real. But you know what is more real than either one of those? Life. Hope. 
resurrection. The gifts of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Most holy God, thank you for your love and mercy toward us through Christ Jesus. We praise you for giving us a glimpse into your power over death when you resurrected Lazarus from the dead. We ask for patience and faith to trust in your plan and in your timing for our lives. Help us to remember your great love for us and help us to have faith knowing that you will always be with us even in our darkest moments. Give us eyes and hearts to see your miraculous work in our own lives and courage and boldness to share our experience, our experiences with others to inspire their faith in you. This is our prayer offered in the name and spirit of Christ. Amen. <laughs>